Blog Talk Radio. share the stories and memories of the pilots who flew the planes of Pitcairn Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and of course Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, retired Eastern captain and producer of the show, and we hope you will enjoy the stories we bring to you every Thursday at this time, and that you'll join in the conversation during the broadcast. After all, it's a call-in talk show. Now, let's get the show in the air. Reaper 25, you're cleared to start engines. Hey, You're cleared for takeoff. Roger. Uh, Reaper 25 is on the roll and requesting a straight-out departure. That's approved, Reaper 25.
Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting Reaper Radio Hour. Our stories range from the sounds of the aircraft you just heard starting up, or simply stated from the mail wings to the huge Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, a.k.a. the Whisperliner. By the way, that last beautiful sound you heard was the sound of four Wright R-3350 engines of the Lockheed Constellation, probably on another successful Eastern Air shuttle flight. As we like to tell our first-time listeners, you can listen in with your smartphone or go to your radio show provider at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash capnetti at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time and click on the start arrow. Remember, it must be at 3 p.m. or you'll be given a message that the show has not begun. Better yet, why not listen, as many people do, and just call the show at 213-816-1611. This will put you on a producer's board, and all you have to do to share your comments or join in our discussion is to touch the number one on your smartphone's keyboard. That will tell the producer to unmute your phone's microphone. Then just join in the fun. (coughs) Now, starting today, we're adding a new announcement to our Reaper Radio Hour uh, broadcast. Uh, Each week, when we become aware of our Eastern pilots or their spouses that have passed through the way to the West on their final flight, To do this honor, we have asked Captain Jim Holder to do the honor. Jim provides this memorial to all the Reaper uh, roster on a needed basis. And Jim has done an outstanding service over the years doing this job. Captain Jim, the honor is all yours. Okay, thank you, Don. Actually, now I just put out the deaths on my EL. EAL info email list, about 280 people on it. And I also place them on the Reaper website. Yesterday, I sent out the notification of three of our Eastern pilots who passed away recently Captain Chet Millars, who I flew with many times, Captain Roy Wren, who was one of my very best friends, but we never flew together at Eastern. We flew together a little airplane, though. And Captain Joseph Thomas. And I learned just this morning that Eastern pilot Dave Flavin died yesterday on September the 23rd. Uh, Dave also was a co-pilot flying with me, and I knew it. Now, you can go to the Reaper website, and you can find a complete list dating all the way back to the pit Tarn days. Uh, they are listed in the year of their passing. So you want to go to www.reaperonline.com. Click on the In Memoriam page, and like I said, they will all be there, the ones we know of. And there may be a few that we didn't get, but we've got thousands and thousands. Anyhow, I'm glad, Mr. Patricia, that the radio show is going to feature this memorial that's uh, those that passed during these broadcasts. And back to you, Don. Well, thanks, Captain Jim, and we will make available this time on the radio show whenever you need to make an announcement. Now, let's go up to Long Island, New York, where Captain Mike Scott is at the controls. Mike? Yeah, thanks, Don. It's great. The Eastern Radio Show will honor these these pilots of Flying West during the broadcast. Now, folks, we can sit back and enjoy some great aviation stories, as our producer said, stories written by the pilots who flew the planes of Pitcairn Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and, of course, Eastern Airlines. Stories printed in Reaper T and other publications. Today we have a few short stories our producer found on the pages of Reaper T. Harry, how about telling the listeners uh, what they may have missed uh, on the last week's program? Sure thing, Captain Mike. Be glad to. Uh, in our last episode, we heard Alexa Conway tell about the generosity of the Eastern flight attendants on a flight she had, which a lone soldier was trying to get home to his family before shipping off to Vietnam. 
had been robbed of his paycheck and had no money to continue his trip beyond the next point. Alexis started a drive that even had the passengers contributing until the amount collected reached $500, which back in the 70s, that was quite a nice sum of money. It had a surprise ending also. You'll want to go to the website and look for REPA Radio Hour Episode 24. Several other very interesting short stories were told to conclude another great broadcast. What do we have to start today's show, Captain Jim? Larry, we're going to start off by reading a letter from an Eastern pilot's wife in remembrance of her deceased husband. In the Repartee magazines over the years, there's been hundreds of letters that were printed in a popular section there called the mailbag. And here is that letter. Mr. Producer, let's hear from the ladies. A very popular section of the Repartee magazine is known as the mailbag. And in the mailbag are letters from the pilots, from friends of pilots, and from the wives of pilots. This one is in the 1989 issue of Repartee. It's from Mrs. Jean Teed, Miami, Florida. It reads to the editor, Dear Jean, it was so nice talking with you on the phone tonight. I surely hope Oladad Hoover will send you some of his own inimitable recollections of trips flown with my Larry. Both he and Bill Odom were the pilots, and for many years they flew the Military Airlift Command, MAC, together, signing their bid sheets, Me Too, after Larry's bid. The three of them were really great buddies and enjoyed flying and seeing a lot of this wonderful world, including Vietnam, Bangkok, Taipei, Okinawa and the Philippines, Guam, Wake, Hawaii, Seattle, Travis Air Force Base, McGuire Air Force Base, Goose Bay, Gander, Bermuda, the Azores, Iceland, Ireland, England, Germany, and Spain. I have enclosed a few pictures. Use what you like of them. I remember taking the photo of Larry, my husband, and our three children. It seems like such a short time ago. Yes, time flies all too quickly. The tiny tot on the right in the picture is now 25 and has a whole year and a half seniority on American Airlines as a flight attendant. Our son is an M.D., and our older daughter is married to a mechanic of on Alaska Airlines. So two out of the three are in the airline business. That isn't bad. I was a flight attendant called a stewardess in my day with Eastern Airlines for five years. And I thank the Lord for enabling me to meet such a wonderful person as Larry and be married for 38 marvelous, extraordinary, blessed years. Would you believe he actually gave me a diamond engagement ring when I answered his call for a hot chocolate at 7,000 feet over Louisville, Kentucky? It's true, and it was one of the happiest moments of my life. He was a kindest, dearest, most gentle husband and father. I can truthfully say he never was hurtful, sarcastic, or authoritative in all those wonderful years that we were married. He was truly a family man. We were all very close and shared as many moments together as we could. Our children adored him and still do. He grew, on, he grew up on a farm outside Chicago and had to get up early morning to do his chores. Since he'd learned to fly during the Depression years, he had to work nights to finance his flying lessons. He started out with one plane, and built his Teed Aeronautical Incorporated at the Ashburn Airport, Chicago. Finally, owning seven planes, he gave lessons and had air shows and air circuses and even delivered planes around the country following the railroad tracks for guidance. He joined Eastern Airlines in 1937 after he was the official aerial photographer for the Chicago Tribune. He flew some of the first airmail routes, which were Birmingham, Muscle Shoals, and Nashville, flying DC-3s for Eastern Airlines in 1939. 
After retiring, he golfed during the week. And weekends, he loved to go to his home, away from home, his cabin he built entirely by himself in Big Cypress Swamp. He carried every piece of lumber and equipment out on his swamp buggy, and this meant traveling 10 miles each way from the Everglades Conservation Club. He loved to hunt for wild turkeys and ducks, never shooting a deer. He even had a pet deer he would feed near his cabin. Incidentally, he took the photo of the swamp buggy in his cabin by himself, setting the camera ahead. Another interesting remembrance is that when he was hired by Captain Eddie as a pilot, he was called to fly a trip earlier than expected. Captain Eddie knew he didn't have his uniform yet and asked if he had something dark to wear. Larry said he had a black overcoat, so Captain Eddie said, Fine, you fly tomorrow morning. Also, I think it's remarkable that in the 32 years he flew, he never was late or missed a trip. He loved his work. Best job in the world, he used to say. When he knew he was going to die, he said he thanked the Lord that he had such a wonderful, loving wife, three dear children, seven grandchildren, and had been lucky enough to be a pilot for Eastern Airlines. He enjoyed every trip he flew, and his quiet, gentle ways made everyone's life around him worthwhile and enjoyable. He has enriched my life as no one else has on this earth, and I shall never forget him and shall always love him. Sincerely, Gene Teat. Beautiful letter. Nice, yeah. Yeah, there's some great letters uh, in repartee, and we're going to have to start uh, using some of these. Uh, very, very good letters. Did you guys Don't. know him? I didn't. I knew the name. I didn't I either. He was he was gone by the time we came along. I yeah. Think. He started in yeah, 37. Yeah. They flew for 30 years. No, I guess he was still there when yeah. we came along, yeah. Neil. He was still there. Yeah, yeah I don't remember meeting him, though. No. Don? Well, Mr. Producer, I hope you can dig into that mailbag of yours and find some more letters as the one that uh, you just read uh, about uh, uh, Captain Larry T. Our next story is one that will make your folks' hair stand up and in. It's about a pilot receiving a direct lightning hit on his DC-2. Mr. Producer... An Illuminating Incident by Herb Clark, as told in the 1981 issue of Repartee. Although I flew the DC-4s and the Connies on the Bermuda Division, it was still necessary to keep qualified on our DC-3s and the Montreal route. It was a welcome change to fly over familiar landmarks again the scenery along the Hudson River Valley to Albany, New York, and over Lake George, Lake Champlain, and into Canada is always invigorating, no matter what time of the year. But on a lazy summer's day, somehow it makes one more than glad to be alive. On such a day when I was returning to New York, an incident happened that was a bit illuminating, to say the least. We had been cruising along in the vicinity of Lake George, below towering cumulus clouds. They seemed so innocent floating there in space. Their majestic beauty had a hypnotic effect on me. I wanted to play a game of tag with them. Back in the early days of flying, we were not too concerned about maintaining a constant altitude. We always tried to give our passengers a smooth ride. Whatever made me forget them, I'll never know. Perhaps I was reliving my OX-5 swallow days when I did some crazy things. Anyway, I started to climb. Just ahead of us was a clear space between some build-ups. Up, up, and still climbing, the sucker hole was getting smaller. At 12,000 feet, I realized what, who was going to win our little game. And then, a lightning strike. The noise sounded like a cannon shot. It struck the tail, raising 
ran through the cabin and discharged at the left wing tip, knocked out the radios, caused a few moments of blindness, and impaired our hearing for a short time. When we landed at LaGuardia, we found a large piece of fabric on the rudder had been burned off. Never again did I intentionally play tag with Mother Nature. Before my career as an airline pilot ended, I experienced two more such happenings. That old saying, lightning never strikes twice in the same place, is a bunch of poppycock. Putting it more to the point, who the hell wants to... Oh, yeah. We've all been through lightning strikes, right, Mike and Jim? Yeah, Lord, I I had two that scared the hell out of me, one on the ground and one in the air. And they were really lightning strikes. They weren't static discharges. A lot of people had static discharges, thought it was lightning strikes, but it really wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Mike, you've had one or two? Yeah, I had a couple of buttes. As a matter of fact, back when I was a green uh, first officer on the 737, uh, <laughs> we were going into the old uh, Athens uh, uh, airport there. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, not Athens. Yeah, into Athens. And we were we uh, we took it. Uh, it sounded like a 45 going off in the cockpit. You could smell all that uh, ozone. Oh yeah. So we had damage to the radome and most of the yeah. static wicks. It, yeah. it burned off the localizer antenna on top of the vertical stabilizer. Yeah. The forward air steer motor was burned out. The APU igniter box burned out. The N1 N2 tack on number one engine went out, and numerous super circuit breakers in the cockpit uh, let go. And we had all kinds of rivets that were burned out of the bottom of the fuselage. Mm. And then uh, another one that I had, which was going in the old uh, into the old Istanbul Ataturk Airport, uh, we dropped our passengers off as I was uh, captain on a seven two then, and we had a, they wouldn't let us park there, so we had to go a little bit west uh, in the lousy weather, over to Tikridag Korlu, which was an old military airport, and we got whacked from the bottom on that. We got the radome, static wicks, yeah. lower fuselage rivets, and yeah. HF antenna, the, the you know the big donkey you probe on the back of the the tail, a big HF oh, yeah. antenna. Yeah. Well, every time we went in for a maintenance check, whether we got lightning strikes or not, we we would we would find holes in that in the top of that thing all over the place. We had to get them <laughs> patched up or replace it each time. But we could go on with that. That's just a yeah. couple of the heavy yeah. ones that we had. Yeah. Okay. Very good, uh, Mike and. Uh, Let's see now. Then this next one. Tell us a little bit about that, Mike. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever wonder? Well, if I see if I got here now, the right. I want to make sure I got the right page this time again, like I didn't have the last time. Too early. Did you ever drink. wonder how Eastern Airlines took on the logo or the mark, which is sometimes called the duck hawk, which turned into the uh, to the hockey stick? Well, here here it is, Mr. Producer. You have that story. Yep. This article appeared in the summer issue of Repartee, the 1989 issue. It's titled The Duck Hawk Insignia by Art Furchgott and John Engel. When Ham Todd asked that I write a short article on the origin of the Duck Hawk Insignia for this issue of Repartee, I asked John Engel, who is a real aviation historian, to give me some help. Both of us were working for Eastern when the insignia originated, and here is our report. Pitcairn Aviation and later Eastern Air Transport used the Pitcairn Arrow in their aircraft, advertising, and letterhead. It was not until 1934 when the DC-2s started operating that a new insignia was used. The new Mark was a map of the U.S. within a circle with the word Eastern at the top and airlines around the bottom. Nine DC-2s had this new insignia by the end of 1934. Oddly, in 1934, the Condors, Kingbirds, and Mail Wings still used the Pitcairn Arrow. With all of these planes were retired, but all these planes were retired in 1935. 
Captain Rickenbacker came to Eastern on January 1, 1935 as general manager after serving as vice president for General Motors and North American Aviation. Five more DC-2s were delivered in 1935, completing the order for 14. Rickenbacker wanted a new mark and logo. In his autobiography, he wrote, I was inordinately proud of our fleet of silver planes. The great silver fleet popped into my head. I thought of the duck hawk, a speedy bird of graceful line, epitomized our operation, and a silhouette was painted on the rudder of each ship. Actually, there was more involved with the change to the duck hawk insignia. Many people credited Bev Griffith, who was director of public relations, with the idea. However, there is no doubt that the key person for the finished product was Brad Walker, whose advertising agency, Campbell Ewald, started handling Eastern's account soon after EVR became general manager. Whether the captain or Brad Walker got the idea first is not known, but there is no question that they did work together on the final details. The actual changeover to the Duck Hawk came about in August of 1935. The five new Lockheed Electras purchased in 1935 all had the new insignia, and the DC-2s that had the U.S. map were repainted with the new mark. The new insignia became somewhat slanted and stylized in the early 1960s with the coming of the jets and was replaced in 1964 by the present mark and logo. As a matter of interest, the duck hawk is a peregrine falcon, Falco peregrinus anatom bonaparte. The peregrine falcon of the old world was the most noble falcon when hawking was a major sport. Its strength and bearing appeal to the primitive sense of admiration for courage. It is one of the fastest birds known. In obtaining prey, it would rise in spirals above the victim, then drop directly on it, rarely missing. That characteristic probably appealed to former fighter pilot EVR as much as the speed and gracefulness. You know, it was great to have known John Engel, historian he was, he really was, and Arch Scott, what a pair they made. Uh, Art became the historian for REPA for many years, and uh, uh, also EARA. And John Engel and I did the book of the... Uh, the um, the uh, repartee, the best of repartee, after about 35 years of uh, printing that magazine, we sat down and decided we'd pick out some stories that we thought were some of the best, and we put them in a bound uh, issue, a bound hardback uh, with a dust cover, uh, and uh, it sold pretty well. I think we had over 2,000 at that time printed. And uh, they were done right here in Jacksonville, where John and I had an office. I had an office, and John shared a desk in my office. And we would talk about Eastern all the time. And and uh, he was a historian also for, for the Florida Aviation Historical Society. And uh, we went uh, many times to Orlando and down to uh, Clearwater for their meetings. And uh, matter of fact, John and I suggested that the Florida Aviation Historical Society start a Hall of Fame, and it was so done. Uh, they voted that we would start it the very next year. And, of course, John and myself um, introduced <coughs> Captain Eddie Rickenbacker as the, in the first class of that Hall of Fame. Well, we did uh, a Hall of Fame for John Engel uh, last year, I think it was, and uh, what a remarkable man he was. He was also a retired admiral in the Navy, having sunk a Japanese sub and um, uh, from, a, ten, from a, uh, a destroyer escort. Now, you don't find many destroyer escorts sinking Japanese submarines. They're there for a different purpose altogether. But uh, it's quite interesting. It's in Navy history. You can look it up, and, uh, and sure enough, uh, John Engel was a commander of that boat in World War II. 
So it's interesting, some of the people that you meet along uh, life's journey. And I had the fortune of knowing John Engel. I wish I had known Art Birchcott better. How about you guys? Uh, anybody there? Yeah, yeah I'm here. Yeah. I got to <laughs> shut up talking. <laughs> yeah. I didn't but, know, uh, so I yeah. can't comment. I didn't know either one of the gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, I knew that my name, but that's it. Well, you know, yeah, we have done a... art history of Eastern Airlines on many shows past over the years, and we use it to fill in on our musical shows because on the website that Dorothy has uh, such a uh, done such a wonderful job of keeping it updated, uh, we have uh, all of the history of Art Birchcott that he did, and from time to time I research it and use it. And um, it's it's very interesting. Well, Harry, what you got yeah. up next? Well, Captain Neil, uh, have you ever wondered what th- went through an aircraft designer, engineer's mind, when asked to build a new aircraft? Well, we found a point that seems to explain it well. Now let's hear an engineer's dilemma as it is poetically expressed. A poem in the 1989 summer issue of Repartee. An Engineer's Nightmare. Home from his toil, an engineer sank, an engineer sank wearily to bed. The plans of wings and landing gears were buzzing through his head. Then there appeared before his eyes a dreadful apparition, much like the ancient mariner in very poor condition who laid upon his bed a tome of 40,000 pages, specifications it was marked, and showed the wear of ages. He frowned a military frown, his eye began to glisten, and pointed with his horny hand, and throatily croaked, listen. Design for us, O engineer, an airplane that's hot, a two-place fighter's what we want, the best that can be got. Of course, you should be quite prepared, like any good go-getter, to change it quickly to a scout, if we decree that's better. Now, don't forget, it must be fast. 300's not enough. But it must land at 20 knots, as light as downy fluff. A clean design for speed sweet sake, that's a necessity. The wings must fold, but please, not in unexpectedly. Since no one knows if this design will base on beach or boat, arrange to have the wheels retract into the seaplane's float. A battery of 10-inch guns? No, wait. That's battleships. Oh, well, you'd better put them in. We'll leave them out on trips. That's all, except, of course, for bombs and cameras for mapping. Torpedoes, too, and smokescreen tanks. No telling what may happen. Each part must be well anodized. Ten coats of paint you'll give it. And bombing wire must, bonding wire must connect each bolt and nut and rivet. So there you are. Now go ahead and dash off this design. Ten weeks we'll give you. Not enough? We'll compromise with nine. Because you see, it will take us years to carefully peruse it and fully satisfy ourselves, we simply cannot use it. An engineer with the Chance Vault aircraft wrote this poem when the company was trying to decide whether to make design changes in one of their biplanes to make it a two-seater fighter or a scout bomber, which was an XF3U-1 or an XSBU-1. His name was N.V. Clements, and the year was sometime during 1933 to 35. This is an excerpt from the book, Airplanes Vault, 1917 to 1977, by Gerald P. Morgan. Okay, interesting things you find in repartee through the ages. And... um, Jim, once again, uh, I'm so happy that Jerry Frost put all of the issues of repartee on the website repaonline.com. 
And folks, yes, uh, I, I encourage you to go and visit that website and read some of the stories that uh, we're we're reading on Thursday sessions of REPA, the REPA Hour. So um, that's my two cents. That's all we got for you. Yes, Except like one you more. Said he did an excellent that's, job. Oh, yeah, thank you, Dorothy. What you got? Oh, Dorothy's not with. Well, wait a minute. She fell off. I don't know what's happening to her telephone. Dorothy, are you still with us? Yes, I am. I don't know if you can hear me. Can you hear me all right? I sure can. Say something. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, final reading is a note from a retired Eastern captain wondering about his company and its future during the final days at Eastern. This note was placed in the spring 1989 issue of Repartee. Only two months earlier, the IAM and the Airline Pilots Association went out on strike of Eastern. The note reads, I awoke early on the morning of my 61st birthday. It was pitch black, the air warm, humid, almost liquid. I made my way to the front of the cottage, quietly closing doors on sleeping grandchildren. Looking out windows, it was equally black. There was a heavy fog. Out on the porch, the firs were barely visible. The ocean below on the bay, noiseless and invisible. The ebb and flow of the tide had been quieted. Everywhere was a pungent, heavy smell of the ocean. There was a tropical storm brewing out in the Gulf of Maine. I came back inside, flipping on my television, hoping for some word of Eastern. And there, in a fog equally as heavy as that outside, was Robert Taylor, the actor, trying to find North Island. I watched as the pilots of VF-8 put on quite a show in their F-3Fs for the Hollywood cameras. It was said that in those days, Hollywood could go out and rent the entire U.S. Navy. It was much more than that, however. The war was brewing, the Navy would need pilots, and this movie of 50 long years ago managed to capture the essence of the spirit, the glamour, the challenge that got so many of us interested in flying. As I watched, my thoughts went back to Eastern, to my years of flying co-pilot, to the men with whom I flew and read about here, on these pages, and to the ebb and flow of the fortunes of Eastern. I remember the Why I Like My Job contest of the 1950s and how it was won one year by a ramp serviceman in Charlotte. How he described his job, his contribution to bringing loved one families together, and how he said, I am Eastern Airlines. It was starting to get light outside, the layers in the atmosphere with which we became so familiar with in the early Loran days were starting to move. The pictures from the Boston TV station 150 miles away was fading in and out. I turned off the television. Would today be some word of Eastern? Would today bring some word of Eastern? It was signed S.D. Styles. Now, that's all. Uh, area code 561, who might that be? That's us, Neil. We had a recall back on our cell because we had a static constantly, so we're not sure what's yeah. happening today. Yeah, it seems to be a problem with your phones. But... Um, that's all we have. And, uh, is, is Don I had a little correction us? for you, Neil, uh, from yeah, the beginning ahead. when G- Jim was uh, mentioning the pilots uh, with the uh, the re- actual name that we were trying to get across was Joseph S. Torma, T-O-R-M-A. Mm-hmm. He passed away. Yeah. He was born January 5th, 1928, and passed away September 15th this month, uh, so I just wanted to get the correction in on that one. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Don is here too, Neil. Okay. Well, 
Any uh, anything else we have? Any announcements? Any discussions? Um, well, I can give you some announcements if you'd like. Go ahead. We have uh, a, a new member uh, that makes us a thousand fifty-four. His name is Ice Fishers, and he joined September twenty-third. Worked out of JFK, and uh, was from eighty-eight to eighty-nine. He flew as a B-727, A-300 second officer for Eastern Airlines, um, and he flew for Kiwi International Airlines after that. Uh, he's a trans, also a trans meridian as a B-727 captain from 97 to 98. Continental Airlines is a DC-10 second officer from 98 to 98. I guess that was just a short time. United Airlines on the DC-10, B-727, A319 and 20, B-737, B-757, 67, and a B-747, as well as a B-787. He's a member of the Silver Falcons, where he proudly served as VP for two years. His wife of 30 years, Allison, and he have attended over 20 conventions. And our eight-year-old daughter, Madeline, is the Silver Falcon's official mascot. <laughs> I am looking forward to his retirement flight in just under nine years in 2029. Although I will be retired from United with 31 years of seniority, he will be proud to call himself an Eastern pilot. And he's out of Anchorage, Alaska. Dorothy? Uh, our show. Dorothy. Yes. Uh, yeah, Jim yes. uh, Holder, I guess you probably saw him at the Silver Falcons convention, didn't you? I have seen him at every Silver Falcon convention, I believe, <laughs> and some of the Reaper ones. But, no, he was not at this life when we just had. And his, he and his wife uh, had a beautiful baby born very Early, very right before a Silver Falcons convention, and they brought her all the way from Alaska, and oh, wow. we adopted wow. her as our official, our official mascot or something like that. And they used to always bring plates of uh, salmon. Uh, wow! Cooked somehow. I don't know how they did it, but it was damn good. And I sat there and ate a lot of that stuff, passing around in the happy hour room and everything. Yes, fine young man, fine young yeah. man. Very good. Okay, thank you, Dorothy. You got some more? You're welcome. Uh, well, um, I can give you our information on upcoming programs if you would like. Yes. Um, we have our, uh, of course, our Hall of Fame is coming up on Monday, and that's going to be with Captain John Halliburton, and a lot of the Eastern pilots know who he, who he is very well. Uh, then we have a music program coming up with Pete Fontaine, Al Hurt, and Herb Alpert. And we have another program, Tribute to the World War One uh, World War Waves. And then we're going to have History of the Washington International Airport. So we get quite a few coming up. And, of course, folks, go to our website. That's where we need you to be. Back to you. I look forward to all of these programs. They're a lot of fun to research. And um, <clears throat> what a remarkable man, Captain John Halliburton. I didn't have the pleasure of meeting him while he was on the property at Eastern. And, uh, Jim, did you ever meet him? Or Don, did you ever meet him? Uh, meet him, no. But uh, I was at several meetings where he was up on the podium or you know, whatever it was uh, and I remember him speaking and and uh, yeah. that's about the extent but I do remember uh, I might tell you one little story about something that happened at one of those it was in Atlanta and he was up there with you know many other flight operations people and, uh, and I'm just a lonely co-pilot sitting out there in the room and and he's speaking and everything. And this certain captain, who shall remain nameless, uh, disagreed. It was during one of the periods where they were looking for a time flying. I don't know, remember what the circumstances were, but it was. It turned into a bit of a, 
unpleasantness because this this particular captain uh, who I flown I later flew with uh, stood up and stepped out into the aisle about 30 feet back from the podium, took off his coat and rolled his sleeves up uh, like he's getting ready for a fight, and he started attacking Captain Halliburton verbally. Oh. I mean to tell you, he was booed off. The, he was booed. I mean, it was so embarrassing. What an ass he made of himself. And, uh, wow. And uh, people, I mean, the people out there saying, sit down, shut up, you know, get out of here. You know I mean? It was. I mean, that was like he was, I mean, Captain Halliburton was long retired and an elderly statesman guy, you know. You don't talk to somebody like that. And this guy, wow. as far as I know, never came back to another alpha meeting. And that was the well, Cabbage Capital 7 meeting. Yeah. Probably retired yeah, from another airline. Drink. <laughs> yeah. Or this guy later, this guy later, uh, I flew with him to L.A. a lot, and he fancied himself a chess player. And he's always wanted me to play chess with him going out to L.A. And, and I, you know, I told him I didn't have a clue about how to do it, so he was going to teach me. I knew how to play chess. I just didn't want to play chess with him. And, uh, <laughs> and argumentative, he would argue no end. But he, he, well, he brought a 7-5-7. Seven, seven. Well, yeah, you're still on. Yeah, somebody's getting a phone call, I guess. And, uh, Sorry yeah. about that. Well, anyhow, yeah, he ended his career at Eastern ended very abruptly. He came in on a trip in Florida somewhere, I think Fort Myers or someplace, in a seven five seven, and the co-pilot, you know, two man airplane, and he was PO'd about something, you know, with the company. So they set the brakes. The people got off. The flight attendants got off, and the engines were still running. And I know who the, you're talking about now. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and he told the co-pilot, we're getting off. We're going to leave the engines running. And they got off, and the co-pilot was furious. I mean, if, if you flew with this guy, you had to be furious the whole time. And this yeah, co-pilot was right. furious, and he yeah. walked about 10 feet, and he said, to hell with this. He went back in there and shut the engines down. Well, the company heard about it, and they fired him the next day. Yeah. And that's, that was I, I, I flew with him, too. Yeah, he was a... Horses, a eh, you know, um, yeah. but to have done that to the most respected employee Eastern Airlines I think right. ever had, John right. Halliburton. Mm. I mean, <laughs> right? Oh, he was so well thought of from everyone. Uh, remember, we honored him to some extent at the 2016 reunion that we had. Uh, yeah. Jerry Rivenbacker had his the plaque there and yeah. his yeah. photo and. That. Terrible. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we had well, a few jerks. Yeah, we did. Yeah. List. yeah, we sure did. Well, he's in the top five. Yeah, <laughs> well, he used to write up things uh, for the mechanics that would drive them up a wall. Uh, this same mm-hmm. guy, and uh, I think when he gets, if he ever does, uh, he would argue with Saint Pete. Uh, he did. And, he did. and God himself <laughs> herself. If he got that far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I've forgotten who it was. One real senior respected captain said that speaking of this guy said he's overeducated. Oh, it's Streetelmeyer. That's who said it. Streetelmeyer said Meyer, this yeah. guy was <laughs> this guy was overeducated beyond his means to comprehend. Now I don't know what that means, but it sounded good. <laughs> Street was a good guy. Larry Larry Streetelmeyer. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had a street. few of those. Every airline too. does. We have some yeah. great guys. Yeah. Well, let's see. What else do you have, Dorothy? Uh, well, um, I want to uh, remind everybody that uh, we are happy to continue providing Eastern family with so many ways to keep the Eastern memory alive and connect with our friends and fellow employees almost daily. The latest news of the old and the new is brought to you on the EAL radio show website. And by these broadcasts, we do twice weekly. We encourage you to add your voice and memories to the broadcast by calling in to the website by sending in your comments to the webmaster, me, Dorothy Gagnon, so that we may include them on the very popular website. 
back to you, Don. Well, thank you, Dorothy. Um, I guess we'll see you guys again next week, same time, when we continue our trip through the pages of Repartee, as printed in the magazine of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association and other publications. And by the way, if you haven't visited our website, it's www.ealradioshow.com, where you'll find many more great Eastern stories and memories. Uh, It's time to say goodbye. So on behalf of all of our hosts and our producer, Captain Neil Holland, this is Don Gagnon saying so long, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. Yeah, right. So long, Harry. So long, long. everybody. Good night. Have a good night. in the sunlight, roaring engines, headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away. Don't leave me, I cry Don't take that airplane ride But you locked me out of your mind And left me standing here behind Silver wings Shining in the sun Somewhere in the flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Taking you away and leaving me lonely. Silver wings slowly fading out of sight. Slowly See you guys Monday night. Hour and seven minutes to happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Enjoy. We'll see you. Bye bye.